Church of God, today we continue our series, Light Out of Darkness, by turning uh, in 2 Corinthians to chapter 2. For the past uh, few weeks, we've been um, looking at how Paul introduces the theme of this letter. Paul has had some difficult conflict with the Corinthians uh, since he wrote the first letter to the Corinthians. He has experienced opposition in the church, and it's caused him incredible pain and anxiety, um, even to the point of deep depression. Paul was so distressed regarding his relationship with the Corinthians that he changed his plans to visit them. Paul was staying in Ephesus, and he had planned to travel across the sea to Corinth and, then, and visit them first, and then travel up to Macedonia and then come back and visit them again so that they could send him off on his way to Jerusalem. And as Pastor Carl showed us last Sunday, um, that that was his original plan. Um, Paul had sent Titus to Corinth ahead of him to bring news to the Corinthians about Paul and, and to see whether the church was open and ready to begin to heal the, the hurt that had been done in their relationship. But because Paul hadn't heard anything from Titus about the Corinthians, he, uh, he decided that he shouldn't visit the Corinthians right away. So he went to Troas to wait for Titus to come by boat with news about the Corinthian church. And when he couldn't wait any longer, he started the long journey over land through Macedonia to Corinth, hoping that he would run into Titus along the way. And thankfully, he did. And thankfully, Titus brought the good news that the Corinthian church did want to reconcile with Paul. And so Paul wrote this letter of 2 Corinthians from Macedonia with great joy and out of deep love, and we can see Paul's joy and love for the Corinthians throughout this letter. Paul's theme throughout this letter is that God is bigger than our troubles in this world. And so that's why we've called this series Light Out of Darkness, because Paul constantly throughout the letter points to how the power of the resurrection is at work in our lives, in his life, in the lives of the Corinthian Christians, and in our lives today. He points to how God brings good out of bad situations, brings joy out of sorrow, brings comfort out of suffering, brings resurrection life out of death, light out of darkness. Two weeks ago, we saw how God brings comfort out of suffering. Last week, we heard how God is faithful in times of change. And this week, we'll see how God brings forgiveness in the face of sin. As we see the case of a sinner who the church has disciplined, invited back into the covenant of grace through forgiveness in Jesus Christ. As we approach God's word, let's come before him in prayer. O Lord, our God and our King, our covenant God, who keeps his promises to us, who marks us as his own in baptism, Lord, we thank you and we praise you that our identity is found in you alone. Lord, we thank you that you bring us out of our sin into the light of your grace. We thank you that you wash us clean with the blood of Christ and show us in your word how it is that we should live. And Lord, we pray that as we read your word now, as we read this account of a sinner who has been punished and who Paul calls the Corinthians to forgive, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to us 
to fill our hearts, to open our minds, to transform the way that we see the world as we are brought more and more into the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that as we read your word that we would seek his face, the face of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. 2 Corinthians 2, we'll be starting at verse 5. Second Corinthians 2, beginning at verse 5. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you, to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the beautiful things about reading a book of the Bible straight through is that we start to see the way that everything is connected. We start to see how the writers of Scripture were guided by the Holy Spirit to weave together these different themes and, and make these beautiful writings that demonstrate the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what we've read today is one of those texts that we could easily just skip over. On the surface, it doesn't seem like this passage has much to do with what came before or with what comes after. It doesn't seem like it fits. Before the passage, Paul is talking about his change of plans, about why he decided not to visit the Corinthian Christians before traveling to Macedonia. And after this passage, Paul goes back to talking about his journey from Ephesus to Troas to Macedonia as he looks for Titus to bring him news about the Corinthian church. And so it would be easy for us to skip this passage, to skip over this brief and hurried account about sin and forgiveness and love and the face of Christ and the schemes of Satan. It would be easy for us to go from Paul's change of plans to his journeys through Asia and Macedonia and skip over this account altogether. But here it is, and so we have to wrestle with it. Paul interrupts his travelogue to intercede for a member who has been disciplined because of his sin. And it seems out of place, maybe, when we first look at it. It seems like it just comes out of nowhere and goes nowhere, like it doesn't have any real purpose here. Like maybe Paul didn't know where to talk about this, so he just sort of plugged it in here because he couldn't find anywhere else to do it. But when we look at the letter as a whole, it becomes clear that this passage is very important. Throughout this first part of the letter, chapters 1 through 7, Paul is teaching the Corinthian Christians about reconciliation. Reconciliation, making things right, restoring relationships. This is Paul's concern all through the first half 
of this letter as he begins to reconcile with them so that they will understand what it means to be reconciled in Christ. Paul's teaching the Corinthians that the Christian life is not this perfect snapshot of love and orderliness and worship. The Christian life is a journey. It's a journey that the whole church is on together as the body of Christ. It's a church, it's a journey that's sometimes messy, sometimes beautiful, but through it all is guided by the grace of God. And in this journey, there is a time that is appropriate for all things, a time for sorrow and a time for joy, a time for struggle and a time for comfort, a time for punishment and a time for forgiveness a time to remember, and a time to forget. What Paul is dealing with here, and the early Christians, when they comment on this passage, make this very clear. They're, they're unanimous in this. What Paul's dealing with here is the same case of sinful behavior that he addresses in 1 Corinthians 5. In that earlier letter, Paul writes to the Corinthian Christians that he's heard that one of their leaders in their church has taken his stepmother to bed with him. And Paul's words there are very harsh. Apparently, the Corinthian Christians approved of this, celebrating the freedom that they had found in Jesus Christ. But Paul tells them that they are very wrong in thinking this way. He reminds them that this is a level of sexual immorality that even the pagans know is not acceptable. Paul reminds them of the unity of the body of Christ there, telling them that if they tolerate the sin of even one member, that sin affects the whole body the way that yeast affects a whole batch of dough, like poison affects the whole body. And so Paul tells the Corinthian church to excommunicate this man, to kick them out of their fellowship, to expel him so that his sin will not infect the whole body. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9 and following, I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral, sexually immoral people, not, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and the swindlers or the idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother or sister in Christ, but is sexually immoral or greedy an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler, with such people do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those who are outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Whew. Paul has harsh words for those who claim to be Christians but continue to live in sin. Paul has hard teachings for those who claim the power of the resurrection but don't allow that power to transform their lives. Sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, slander, drunkenness, dishonest business practices, these are things that Paul says cannot continue in the community characterized by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. These are behaviors that are inconsistent with the community of God's holy people. And so kick them out. Paul says, kick them out. This is something that we as Christians today continue to struggle with. It's something that the church has wrestled with since its very beginning. What do we do with sin in the Christian life? 
Pastor Carl spoke last Sunday about the difficulty of facing sin within the body of Christ, the way that sin continues to plague us and to eat away at our fellowship, how even Christians fall into sin and are affected by sin. Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians 5 to expel the wicked from among you led to the practice that, uh, that we call church discipline or excommunication. And this is something that the church has, has wrestled with seriously throughout its history. When a Christian is caught in unrepentant sin, the leaders of the church try to correct them. And if the Christian is unwilling to repent and to change their behavior, the, the church leadership expels them. And this is what's happened in the Corinthian church. We see that in the passage that we read today where Paul refers to the punishment inflicted on this man by the majority. The church has decided as a body to expel this member from their fellowship. And churches still do this, even today. Even if churches don't practice discipline and excommunication as an official part of their ministry, there are still many ways in which we correct and rebuke one another for sin. And these aren't always the most healthy ways of dealing with sin. I remember a long conversation that I had with a friend of mine in seminary, and he, we were talking in that conversation about how all churches practice excommunication. If someone is living in a way that the church doesn't approve of, that person is barred from fellowship in the church. And this usually happens through really unhealthy practices. We ignore people, we shame them, we bully them, we gossip about them, we refuse to associate with them. And these can be really unhealthy ways of dealing with sin. It's an unofficial sanction, a silent punishment, something that goes unnoticed by the majority because it's usually carried out by the people who are closest to the person who is caught in sin. And so we end up kicking people out of our fellowship because we're uncomfortable with them. These are the difficult balances in the life of the church. And these are difficulties that we have to deal with as God's people. How do we remain pure but still extend forgiveness? How do we balance wisdom and love? How do we correct people in their sin without depriving them of hope. Paul has heard the report that the Corinthians have excommunicated this man who was living in sin. And Paul is both relieved and very concerned when he hears this report. Paul realizes that it's important that the church not allow the sin of any member to infect the whole body, but at the same time, Paul is deeply concerned that the behavior of the church in kicking this man out of their fellowship has not been done in love and has not been done for the man's healing. And so Paul reminds the Corinthians here in 2 Corinthians 2 of three things that they need to remember. First, Paul reminds the Corinthians of the blessing of community. We've seen already in chapter 1 how Paul has come to understand the unity that we experience with one another as the body of Christ. We are all tied together like parts of a body to Jesus Christ, our head. And this is the same principle that Paul taught in 1 Corinthians when he told the church to excommunicate this member. 
If one member is sinning, then the whole body is affected by sin. But here, Paul reminds the Corinthians that if one member is sorrowful, the whole body mourns. And if one member is in pain, the whole body suffers. And so the body has to accept this man back. They've told him that his sin will not be tolerated in the church. They've kicked him out of their fellowship. And now Paul says they have to accept him back. They have to maintain the unity of the body by offering him forgiveness and healing. So that's the first thing, the blessing of community. The second thing that Paul reminds the Corinthian Christians of is the power of the resurrection. In the person of Jesus, God has demonstrated his power over sin and death. And even though sin still affects the body of Christ, the power of God is greater and can heal and correct even the worst offenses. The church in Corinth has punished this man by pointing out his sin and demanding that he correct his behavior. And now Paul says they have to accept him back. Because by doing so, they show that they trust in the power of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to wash away our sin and make us pure. One of the early church writers uh, in commenting on this passage, uh, John Chrysostom, says, I didn't write this, this, I'm going off script. Um, John Chrysostom says that one of the important things about this passage is that church discipline, the, the desire to... Um, the desire to remain holy, the desire to um, keep ourselves pure can be used as a cover for other desires that are not pure and that are not holy. John Chrysostom says that Paul writes to the Corinthians encouraging them to welcome this man into their fellowship to show that the discipline that they exercised against him was not out of spite or out of hatred or out of dislike for who he was, that by accepting him back, the Corinthians show that the discipline that they exercised against him was out of their love for him. He says that punishment without healing is meaningless. If we punish without offer healing, it's meaningless. And this is what we see when we raise our kids, too. We punish our kids when they do things that are wrong. But we don't punish them forever. We don't punish them without end. We offer forgiveness, we offer grace, we offer reconciliation. And that's what Paul teaches the Corinthians here, that the power of Christ's death and resurrection is stronger than sin, is more powerful than Satan. The blood of Christ washes away our sins and makes us pure, and Paul calls the Corinthian Christians to put their trust in that power, the power of God. The third thing that Paul reminds the Corinthians of is the freedom that comes from forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the most difficult things that we are called to do as Christians. But without it, Paul says, the message of the gospel is meaningless. Remembering the sins of others, keeping a record of wrongs, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, this has a negative effect on our very soul. When we brood over the sins of others in our hearts, their sin begins to control us. But forgiveness offers freedom. 
And this freedom is a two-way thing. It frees the person who has sinned from guilt and opens them up to the possibility of reconciliation. And it frees the person who has been sinned against from allowing that sin to control the way that they see this person. Forgiveness in Christ frees us from sin. It frees us from the control that sin has over our lives and behavior. It frees us to reach out to others in love in spite of their sin. One of the things that's amazing to me about this passage is that Paul never once mentions the sin of this man. It's almost like he's forgotten. In verse 10, Paul says, If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I've forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I've forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. What I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ. It, it almost sounds like Paul has forgotten what this man's sin was. The power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ frees Paul from seeing this man through the lens of sin and instead allows Paul to see him as a brother in Christ who is suffering. These three things, the power of community to correct and heal, the power of the resurrection to wash and purify, and the power of forgiveness to free us from sin, allow Paul to say that the church ought to reach out and welcome this man in love and invite him back into their fellowship. The fellowship of sinners who are forgiven by Jesus, the fellowship of fallen people who are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, the fellowship of imperfect people who are being made perfect by Jesus, the fellowship of dirty people who are washed clean by the blood of Christ. What this boils down to in its essence is our identity as a people who are washed and purified in the blood of Jesus. We are a people who come to this place not because we deserve to be here, but because God has called us here. We do not stand in God's presence and praise his name because we have earned it. We are able to stand and to worship the God of goodness and truth because he has washed us in his blood, purified us in his righteousness, and marked us with the seal of his covenant of grace. We don't receive God's grace because we've understood it or comprehended it. The mysteries of God are far beyond human understanding. Instead, we come, every one of us, as infants, as children. We don't understand how it is that God works in us. We don't understand what it is that God does for us, but we trust him. We put our trust in him. We trust that God forgives our sins. We trust that God washes us clean. We trust and believe that God adopts us as his own children, making us a part of his family. And we trust that God will work through this family to grow us in the faith, to increase our virtue, and to help us along the way as we grow more and more to look like Jesus. Sometimes that means that we're encouraged and affirmed. Sometimes that means we are rebuked and corrected. But always it means that we are loved. We are loved by God. And we are loved by his people. Those are the vows 
that we made today, that we will always love them with the love that God has for them, with the love that God has for us. This is what Paul is teaching the Corinthians here in 2 Corinthians 2, and this is what Paul is teaching us today. The power of Jesus' death and resurrection transforms our reality. It allows us to see the whole world differently. There are times in the lives of believers when the church needs to correct sinful behavior, but punishment without healing means nothing. Punishment without the promise of restoration is meaningless. It leads only to despair, and that, Paul says, is what the devil wants. When the church gives up the forgiveness that is in Christ for the sake of looking good, when the church sacrifices the gospel for the sake of purity, when the church gives up on reconciliation for the sake of order, Satan cheers. When we hold on to our grudges because we can't let go, Satan controls us. When we look at others through the lens of sin and not through the lens of the blood of Christ, Satan wins. But what Paul shows us here in 2 Corinthians 2 is that God is bigger than our sin. Out of sin, God brings forgiveness. Paul says something remarkable in this passage that grabbed my attention the first time that I read through it. He says, I have forgiven this man in the sight of Christ for your sakes. In the sight of Christ. The big thing that Paul is emphasizing here is that everything the church does is in the sight of Christ. Everything that Christians do is in the sight of Christ. The power of Christ's death and resurrection transforms our reality. It transforms the way that we see things. When we are washed and purified by the blood of Jesus Christ, we see the world in a different way. When we look at others through the eyes of Jesus, Paul teaches us, there is so much more to see than their sin. We see forgiveness. We see grace. We see a dirty person washed clean in the blood of Christ. We see a dead person raised to new life by the God who raises the dead. We see a sinful person forgiven by the God who makes light shine out of darkness. This is the God who we worship. This is the God who we praise. The God who freely forgives sin. The God who adopts us as his own sons and daughters. The God who brings forgiveness out of sin, light out of darkness, life out of death. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said. Merciful God, we thank you that you do not destroy us in our sin the way that you destroyed the world in the flood. We thank you that you do not wash us away as you washed away the Egyptians in the Red Sea. We thank you that you save us as you saved Noah, that you lead us safely through the waters as you led the Israelites Lord, we thank you that in Christ there is forgiveness for our sins. We thank you that through the work of the Spirit there is reconciliation 
for those who seek his face. Lord, you have called us your own children, sons and daughters of the Most High. And Lord, we pray that through our baptism, through the covenant vows that we make as a community, through your promises to us, that you will restore us to life, forgive our sins, and lead us into life everlasting. We pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who reigns together with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.